welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Dreamcast, a podcast created by the students of the Otis Music Camp in Macon, Georgia. Each episode of the Dreamcast will feature stories and conversations with exceptional artists from our hometown of Macon, Georgia, and around the world. In Episode 8, we spoke with Robert McDuffie, world-renowned violinist and founder of the McDuffie Center for Strings in Macon. Growing up in Macon before moving to New York City, McDuffie saw some of the best his city had to offer the world, music and culture, and the worst, racial segregation. After establishing himself as a virtuoso violinist, he dedicated himself to leaving a progressive cultural legacy in Macon and beyond that transcends the traditional bounds of classical music. In our interview, McDuffie recalls growing up in Macon and developing a career as an in-demand violin soloist. He recounts the difficulties and triumphs of making the McDuffie Center for Strings at Mercer University a success and his important work with the Otis Redding Foundation. Welcome to the Dreamcast. Uh, Very nice to have you. Uh, If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and telling the audience who you are, we can get started. Hey, everybody. This is Robert McDuffie. I'm a violin player. Grew up in Macon, Georgia, and uh, happy to speak about Otis Redding and his whole orbit there in uh, my hometown. Getting right into it, you obviously have a connection with Macon uh, the same way Otis did. Uh, You just said that you were you're from here. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your connection with Macon and how you feel like you've been giving back to the community? Sure. I was uh, born in Macon um, and lived there uh, until I was 16 and uh, until I went to New York to go to music, uh, music school. Always kind of romanticized Macon, even though um, it's not the most perfect place in the world. Uh, you know, it's a racially bifurcated town, but I think there's some pretty amazing people who were trying to do the right thing and was just, I think I was just waiting for an opportunity to be able to um, one day uh, as I got, as I get older to, to give back. And the opportunity came to create a music conservatory uh, that was part of Mercer University in Macon. And, um, and we created that. It's called the McDuffie Center for strings. It's an undergraduate university conservatory. And we created that back in 2007. And that's when I got to know Carla Redding really well. And she graciously agreed to join my board of visitors. And um, and I'm now on her board and um, just excited about um, what we've been able to do together and what what's uh, what's in store for the future. So you founded this center, obviously at Mercer. Um, how did that come about? You know, what was the what was the story to that? Well, I, I live in New York. I, I'd gone off to live in Europe for about a year, and I uh, came back uh, to New York, and you know, I'd been playing concerts, solo concerts for thirty years. Kirby Godsey, who was then president of Mercer, came to New York and asked if I would have any interest in, in and creating something to put Mercer and Macon on the on the map. So while I still lived in New York, I, I came I came down to uh, to Mercer to see what we could do and um, and saw that the the I think the best way to achieve uh, success uh, in the shortest amount of time was just to create a a conservatory 
kind of out of thin air, um, bringing in um, some of the best artists in the United States that come to Macon on a revolving door basis and teach violin, viola, cello, and double bass. And we did that. We've got the concertmaster of the Philadelphia Orchestra. We've got principal players of Minnesota Orchestra, uh, Pittsburgh Symphony, St. Paul Chamber, the Emerson String Quartet, uh, the violist of uh, that quartet. That I think they just won their ninth Grammy. Um, so these these amazing artists come and teach a comprehensive uh, music curriculum to students from I think we've got this year seven countries and thirteen states represented and they come to Macon to realize their potential and that makes me really happy. Your center and the Otis Redding Foundation have decided to partner with each other for an upcoming performance. Uh, what is that all about? Our latest, our latest exciting news out of the center is that, you know, it's a center for strings. I think the maybe I didn't mention the full title. It's the McDuffie Center for Strings. Um, 26 uh, students, 12 violins, six violas, uh, six cellos, and two double bass. Um, but we never had a full symphony orchestra. And I didn't want to wait forever for the School of Music at, at Mercer to, to have enough uh, wind and brass players to form a, a, a great university orchestra. So we went and basically um, asked the wind and brass players of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra to agree to become mentors uh, at the Center for Strings and flesh out our orchestra and create, if I can say this on your podcast, a kick-ass orchestra, I hope that's okay, um, that's... Uh, not only a university orchestra, but uh, an orchestra for the community. And it's called the Macon Mercer Symphony Orchestra. And our opening concert will be in October of um, of this year, 2021. Because, uh, you know, classical music is not doing so great uh, these days. And I think one of the main reasons is that we don't connect to the wider culture. Macon is a very diverse place. And... Uh, and we just didn't want to play the music of dead white European male composers. So I went to Carla and um, and suggested that um, that the foundation identify some talented songwriters from the songwriting camp, and and we would arrange their music for symphony orchestra and 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 premiere those those works on our opening gala concert. That's really great to hear, Robert, because I also am in the classical realm. I'm an opera singer. And, and so, yes, I'm very aware that. Great. <laughs> thank you. Um, and so I am very aware of, you know, the challenges that we are having um, and the reckoning, really, that we're having in having gotten so, um, so stuck in those you know, white European composers, as you mentioned, and mm -hmm. um, some of the things that we're trying to figure out how we're, you know, trying to connect with modern audiences. I appreciate you saying that because, um, you know, if we don't, if we don't uh, reach out to the, again, to the, to the, to the wider culture, we won't be relevant in, in classical music. And we feel uh, that um, we should be presenting Either a composer, conductor, or soloist of color on every concert that we uh, that we have, and and we're just having the greatest time looking for repertoire. Uh, I think there's one work that we're looking at is called the Seven Last Words of the Unarmed. Written oh, that's my right my great friend, Mr. Thompson. I'm sorry. 
Yes, Joel Thompson. I love him. Yes. He's an amazing, yeah. amazing coach. So yes. I'm, uh, I, I want to do that work this year. I think we're going to be able to get it done. Uh, definitely, we'll definitely do it soon. And But I want it to be done this year. It was written after the George Floyd experience and uh, and it would it would give us an opportunity to bring in the the Mercer uh, chorus and um, and that's something I want to I want to do as well as you know Roderick I, I don't know if you've spoken to Roderick yet um, fine composer who was actually sponsored by the Otis Redding Foundation yes, has sure has, has um, is developing quite a career right now and I'd love to have him come down and and conduct the orchestra. So anyway, it's not going to be, it's 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 not going to be the typical, you know, boring. I'm sorry to say this because I'm a violin player, but it was, you know, it's it's going to be relevant and meaningful and exciting and really good, very high level. So even though Mr. Redding died, what in 1967, I think he, I still think he's alive because of what Carla and her mom and you know, I mean, he still seems alive in Macon. So. Um, I just think it's it's just a natural thing to do to to partner. I saw that you were in a performance for the reading of the uh, letter from the Birmingham Birmingham jail. Right. Uh, what kind of impact did that have on you? And especially now today, with everything going on in the world with racial inequality, it it had a huge impact uh, on me. I still I, I'm still harboring a lot of uh, emotions about having grown up in the in the South as a white person and and seeing, you know, institutional racism on, on a daily basis, but not feeling it like, uh, you know, other uh, Meganites did. Um, I got to know Anna DeVere Smith uh, really well out at Aspen. I go out there to the music festival every summer, and she's involved with the Aspen Institute. And they produced a, a performance out there where she recited um, the letter from Birmingham jail while I played Baptist hymns, uh, a Shokin Farewell, which is the great um, soundtrack from Ken Burns' Civil War documentary, played some Philip Glass in the background. Anyway, it was it, it was a big success in Aspen, and so we decided to take it on the road. And she she's brilliant, but she becomes other you know other actors. You know, she became John Lewis uh, as he described being uh, beaten on the uh, in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and she became Charlene. Hunter Galt is the first African-American uh, female student at the University of Georgia. So we put those three works together while I played, and uh, and I just kept thinking, we've got to do this in Macon. And we did. We we went to Beulah Land Bible Church. I think it was pretty much 50-50, black and white. And it was just one of those great, you know, nights uh, where, you know, words matter. And, and music made it happen. We think music heals. Kind of a call to action as well. And um, so it had a, it had a real effect on me. We followed it up with um, with a documentary play on institutional racism in Macon. We made it specific to Macon, where we we went to the, the local theater company in Macon, Theater Macon. Uh, it's called Theater Macon, and and got all of the young talent from there, all high school kids, playing the roles of the mayor, the coroner. Uh, a city councilwoman, um, a foster parent, and um, we called it "What Color Is Your Brother?" and uh, and it was the Center for Strings that 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 really made this happen. It was it was produced by us, and we we had another sold out uh, crowd. Just so happy about that, but it's still not easy. I remember when I was um, promoting the 
the play to the three Rotary clubs combined in Macon for their Christmas party. You know, I, I was kind of, you know, I guess I was kind of tough on Macon, and I, I was, you know, just talked about it not being a perfect place yet, and I got some real, some real pushback. There was one uh, lady in, in particular who's a big community leader there who was so upset because, you know, you just don't talk about race at Christmas. That's what she kept saying. That um, it really angered me. You know, so I think anger is a great motivational tool. It just made me want to do more. So when we, when we when we formed this symphony, I made the decision to include either uh, a work uh, conductor or soloist of color. You know, we're going to make it relevant. In addition to being an artist, right, like an extremely talented and skilled artist, you are also very much a creator and an innovator. We're hearing you talk about these different um, festivals and, and learning opportunities that you have have created, you know, these things that you've built. So, and, and, you know, as you mentioned at the foundation, the students are not only taught to be great musicians and creators, they're also taught the business elements and how to create their own careers. So what would you say have been the attributes that you possess that make you successful in creating and producing on this level? With me, it was about um, determining how my music was played and heard. I w I'm a soloist, but but and, and soloists have a lot of leeway, as you know. I mean, we can, we're the only ones who can tell a conductor what to do. But still, it's, uh, I, I wanted to make sure that I could control my own artistic happiness and, and at the end of the day, uh, economic destiny. That's what I wanted to, to share with the students. Uh, I just think the 21st century is a it's an exciting time, uh, but it, it but it's it's a little tougher. Uh, we're on shifting sands, you know. It's a it's um, it's it's not so easy to navigate a career as a musician in the 21st century, and I think it's kind of morphing into a self-governing world where we're not going to be depending so much on the nonprofits to to help us. We have to make things happen ourselves. I think the business model of American Symphony Orchestras needs to needs needs to change when musicians start making more decisions about how their music is played and heard. But in order to do that, you have to have knowledge. And so that's why at, at Mercer, we've, we basically blew up the curriculum. The title of, of the degree is Bachelor of Music with Electives in Business. But the electives are actual requirements uh, where they take accounting, math, professional branding, entrepreneurship, contract law, dispute resolution. We just we just think that we're doing the right thing for the twenty uh, first century musician. That will give our students a head start as they go out into the big bad world. Earlier, you were speaking on the legacy of Otis Redding and how his impact is reaching audiences, and especially with um, the Otis Redding Camp, and now with the Otis Redding Foundation opening the new Center for Creative Arts. Um, could you tell us more about your role in supporting the center? and why you believe in the need for expanding our programs. As I said, I, I still romanticize Macon, so it's a, it's a very personal thing for me, and I, uh, the, I'm very proud of, even in his short life, what Otis Redding uh, did, um, and as, as well as Allman Brothers and REM and, uh, and, and Little Richard. I just love kind of bragging about my hometown and the, and the talent that, um, that came out of there, and that's why I feel that just from my point, from my center, is that we owe it to the Otis Reddings uh, uh, to 
you know, to do well. It's also about relationships and being affected and inspired by uh, sincere and powerful messages. And that's what I get from Carla. And she has that same ambition to not only obviously keep her dad's legacy alive, but it's what, um, it's, it's what, it's, it's what the foundation does for uh, up and coming talent. To me, it's just an obvious thing to do to, to, uh, to just be there for, you know, for her and to, and to the extent that I can provide exposure for the good work that they do, I'm all ready to do it. But I have one last question. Sure. Out of left field, even though not completely. Okay. What is your favorite Otis Redding song? Probably a little tenderness. It's hard to play because he, he, when he sang it, it's, uh, it's as if he's, he doesn't, he, it's like he, he, he's a singer. He's an artist without borders. It's pleading yearning pleading it would be very hard for me just to to, to notate uh, that song he just goes uh outside of the uh usual you know musical guardrails it's just a, such a personal expression it's a great choice it's been great hearing your musical evolution um and your commitment to your hometown and we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today well i loved speaking with you guys. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Dreamcast with Robert McDuffie. The Otis Redding Foundation would like to thank the following people and organizations for their continuous support. The Otis Redding Estate, the Otis Redding Foundation, the Knight Foundation, Georgia Council for the Arts, the Community Foundation of Central Georgia, the United Way of Central Georgia. The Dreamcast produced by Jamie Alilaw and Matt Miller, with student journalists Christopher Timothy, Jocelyn Rowley, Malika Alilaw, and Hayden Nichols. Our theme music was composed and performed by Zach Wilson. This episode also included music featuring Robert McDuffie on violin. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Dreamcast. Just anticipating Never, 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 never possess, yeah.